My name is Maddie Gray. Oh, you may not think I'm pretty. But don't judge on what you see. I'll eat myself if you can find a smarter hat than me. And I'm Robin Kopic, and you're listening to Grow Up, a Saturday morning podcast for engaged and voting millennials. Hooray! Where we revisit our favorite childhood <laughs> media to discover how their themes and lessons are relevant to today. This week on Grow Up... Who's doing the hyping? See Gryffindor's apart. Oh, fuck, I got the wrong thing. Oh, oh I'm really funking this up. <laughs> oh, we all are. <laughs> okay, and this week... On this show, Grow Up. <laughs> it's a very special treat, everyone. A very special Voters Week treat. Yum, yum, yum. Do, 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 do. It's Harry Potter. We watched Harry Potter. The, the, just the last ones. <laughs> yeah, Deathly Hallows, parts, windows. Virgin alert, we've all never seen it before. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what Harry Potter is. So what's different about Harry Potter and these movies especially is that like Deathly Hollows Part 1, we all went to the premiere together in high school. And the what's important about this story <laughs> was that a friend of ours thought that she was going to be picking up Robin, but we already had Robin. And she went to Robin's parents' door and said, I'm here to pick up Robin. And they said, oh, sorry, he's with his friends. <laughs> At the very beginning of this podcast, we had decided we were never going to do Harry Potter because what the world does not need is more people analyzing Harry Potter because there are a lot of people doing it really well already. We decided if we were to do it because... We are very, very big Harry Potter fans. By the end of pretty much every episode, me and Madison have picked up our wands that we bought together. The three of us <laughs> went to Harry Potter Wizarding World in Orlando together. Not Orlando, the other one together. California. Um, what? The the place where I live. You mean... What? You mean Diagonale. Diagonale! Yeah. Yes, um, that's where I live. Uh, Madison and I have been calling each other Sirius and James since high school. Um, and, and they've been calling me Snivelly. <laughs> oh, Snivelly Poo! We shouldn't have been, but we have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was back when we still liked Snape. To be fair. Oh, that's true. We did. There wasn't. There was an era. So why we decided to do Harry Potter was like, we're opening at the close. We're, we were like, let's just start with the last ones and just start at the end and do it this week now when we are in a midterm election and specifically focus on social justice in Harry Potter. The politics that are going on are painfully familiar. Yeah, it was really weird watching it. It was especially, really especially weird. Because even though I talk about Harry Potter every day, I haven't watched or read it in years. And to start on Seven, it was half, like, very familiar and half, like, us realizing this is so backwards. <laughs> like, the uh, the representation of like people of color and queerness so there's gonna be a lot to rant about in like a one-hour episode we have a lot <laughs> to talk about yeah, yeah we have 
so much to get through. <laughs> yeah, so we have to try to not fall down the Harry Potter hole and be like, well, in this page, Mundungus did say this. <laughs> <laughs> I exclusively want to talk about Mundungus, so let's, no, let's find a balance here. <laughs> that's very oppositional of you. You talk about everything else, and I'll just talk about Mundungus. Mundungus stole my silver. <laughs> I he did. That's that true. My, I need that for my werewolf boyfriend to keep him in check. Sirius is um gay. First hot take. He's more likely to be bi than Lupin. Remus, who seems like the gay no. one. No, Lupin to me seems like the bi one because I don't want to like erase Tonks that pisses people off. So to me, Sirius is just the flaming gay motorcycle boy. <laughs> that's a new trope flaming gay motorcycle boy it's what i try to be every day of my life is it just serious black who fits into that category uh james from uh pokemon yes flaming gay motorcycle boy 10 points to slither and robin <laughs> thank you thank you oh we do we should um also let the listeners know that there are no gryffindors here robin our good friend is a Slytherin. Uh, I am a Ravenclaw, and Miss Catherine, our good friend, a puff, 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 Hufflepuff. <laughs> it does seem to me that the Gryffindors are painted, at least, at least in the movies, and I would argue that in the books as well, that they are painted as the social justice warriors of this world. Yes, yes. I don't well, like. They're the force that represents goodness i hate that division that they sow into this book series and movie series and it's really pronounced in these two movies this is our first grievance against jk rowling's writing which is going to happen a lot because the thing is especially last night because we love harry potter but it's like now people say that so much where it's like i love harry potter but and like being 25 now and watching which is not that old but a lot older than like (laughs) when I was reading it the first time and watching it and yeah. I was like, there are a lot of really weak story elements here that I think could have been done better. And I don't feel like I'm overstepping by saying that. Yeah. And one of them is the way she characterizes the houses that Gryffindor is just so amazing. Ravenclaw's smart. Hufflepuff is, or Slytherin's evil and Hufflepuff's everyone else. It's yeah. like such weak writing. And yeah. I think as a fan base, we have all, attributed a lot more to every house yeah especially hufflepuff the whole thing where she's like i'm a hufflepuff is so her yeah (laughs) i don't want her in my house right now i don't feel like she's a hufflepuff she's not being nice she's not she's definitely a gryffindor because although gryffindors are painted as social justice warriors who are doing whatever it takes to do the right thing they step on a lot of people on the way there and i feel like J.K. Rowling is a Gryffindor, where it doesn't matter how many people she hurts on the way up. Yeah. (laughs) As long as she gets to the top. Um, And, like, now that she's at the top and she's been at the top for a long time, she's trying to maintain this top position by, like, performative social justice, where it's not real... Mm-hmm. But she does she does the barest minimum and then like wants the credit for it and it it oogs me out, you guys. It oogs me so hard. 
Catherine and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday, but I want to go into it as a group and talk about Black Hermione. Blamarney. Oh, Blamarney. That didn't work. Um, yeah, let's start at Black Hermione. We have a list of grievances. This is number two. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with Black Hermione. I think Hermione, as originally written, probably should have been a young Black girl. Can I give a little context first? Yeah, please yeah. do. So, I was looking this up. Harry Potter is actually the 10th largest media franchise in history. Do you want to guess what number one is? We've done it on the podcast. We've done it on the podcast? Yeah. Pokemon. Power yes, Rangers. It's, no, it's Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got, you know, seven core books, two plays, a couple side books, and we're about to have our 10th movie and uh like two theme parks endless fan fiction more so than probably anything in history anything that will ever happen again i think after the series ended jk rowling has been trying to keep herself in this world and wrote these plays called harry potter and the cursed child one and two that took place with as uh our heroes, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, as adults and their kids entering Hogwarts, and Hermione was played by a black woman. And there was a long-running, not conspiracy theory, but a long-running theory that Hermione could have been black throughout the series because there is very little mention of her flesh tone, but there, like her flesh major tone. characteristics, flesh tone. Yes, what is mentioned is that she has like curly hair and brown eyes which are both characteristics of a black girl so could easily have been a black girl especially young women of color were uh drawn to this idea of a black hermione and it it, it was prevalent throughout the series being put out and but once jk rowling found out about it it kind of exploded she tweeted about it like she wrote Hermione to be played by a black woman in these plays which I don't think is a bad thing no I think it's great my issue with JK Rowling is this performative social justice where she's not putting her money where her mouth is she's got like a hundred really in-depth characters in this series like there's 800 characters in this series Mm -hmm. but we know the names of like 200 we know the like backstories of about 100 maybe five of them are people of color yeah and she was at like some conference or something and someone like had asked her like if Hermione's black and she or they brought up that thing and J.K. Rowling's response was like, if I knew you guys would be so excited about it, I would have told you years ago, as if this had been her plan from the very beginning. Um, But somebody found a line in the books that described Hermione as white. So it's not like she was secretly black the entire time. It's J.K. Rowling is jumping on it now and kind of basking in the glory. And it's like, you obviously intended her to be white she was played by emma watson if you really wanted her to be black you could have had her be black and madison sent me a video and it was like every single time a person of color speaks a line in harry potter oh no it was it was six minutes long for eight movies for eight movies and for most of them it was either somebody covered up by CGI or somebody not on screen. This happens a lot where we kind of erase p- 
people of color's skin color with CGI. Um, like, what's her name in Guardians of the Galaxy is a black actress, and she they make her green, and then Lu- Lupita Nyong'o in Star Wars, they change her skin color. Um, it ha- and then they counted, oh, Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> they yeah. Count, they, like, count him as, like, technically a black man, because the actor who plays him is black, but they erase that skin color. This happens a lot. And that video counted Ferenz, the centaur, as a black man because the voice actor was black. So that was a big chunk of it, was just him talking about Voldemort. That was a solid minute of the six. And then, like, every almost everything we had for, uh, not episode, for part three, book three, was the shrunken head in oh my god in the night bus and then the i think the only other person of color who said anything in that movie was that unnamed black kid who says admittedly some of the best lines in harry potter the grim is an omen of death his his character name was boy one and then also on top of all of that like in the first two movies a good chunk of what we saw in this video was Lee Jordan doing announcing for Quidditch. What we noticed is that like most of the black characters aren't written very well or not, not black characters, but uh, all of the characters of color aren't written very well. It was like, not a lot of them have actual autonomy as characters. Cause we have like Lee Jordan who really only works as an accessory to Fred and George. And in the books, when Fred and George leave the kind of last mention we get of Lee Jordan is that like, he's sad Fred and George left him behind. Um, we have Dean Thomas who does not have that much of a character apart from being part of Seamus and Dean. And dating she- Ginny where he's and- villainized. Yeah. Like he doesn't yeah. really have anything going for himself. Like, Seamus has much more of a personality until he is kind of a villain because he's dating who's supposed to be our protagonist's love interest. Then there's the Patil twins, who in the movie... Ugh. So at the Yule Ball, they're wearing saris, which, like, Catherine and I, we're struggling with this because, one, representation is very important. Yeah. And it's really cool to when you don't often see people wearing your cultural garb to see it on screen especially in maybe one of your favorite series but they're also characterized as like really bitchy throughout the yule ball yeah and that's really the only time we see much from the patel twins that scene particularly at the yule ball we were talking about like i do as a white woman i don't know how it came across to like young indian people to see them wearing saris but it felt odd because they wear saris and Cho Chang wears like Chinese, a Chinese dress. And so it was kind of like all of the women who were people of color were wearing something that was from supposedly, you know, their homeland, even though Cho Chang is clearly Scottish, like she has a Scottish accent. And the, and the Patel, Patel twins, twins are clearly British. And then one of the only other people of character uh, people of color we have is Kingsley Shacklebolt who also wears like very uh African looking robes but, but he, he does, does look badass wearing them he does and that's kind of the only exception is Kingsley Shacklebolt is a is a very good character and says has a lot of really good lines has autonomy 
becomes Minister of Magic, but because he's kind of this outlier, it, he feels like a token saying, like, see, we have a great black character that just kind of sashays in every once in a while and, like, becomes Minister of Magic. And it's like, wow, look how woke Harry Potter is. Should we talk about the movie at all before we keep ranting about Harry Potter? No! Yeah, all right, let's do it. Robin hasn't said much. I want to hear him explain the plot. The plot is that they have to kill the Horcruxes, which are pieces of Voldemort's soul that he has fragmented and hidden in various objects that mean a lot to him. Really very sentimental, if you think about it. After they find a bunch of the items that the Horcruxes are hidden in and destroy some of them, they have a final ultimate showdown on school grounds between the forces of good and evil. And it turns out that the final Horcrux was Harry himself, that Lord Voldemort's soul had been placed inside of Harry. And therefore, in order for Voldemort to die, Harry also had to be killed. Even though we, like, watched it last night, just having you explain it, like, made me so nostalgic again for, like, when these <laughs> movies were coming out and reading the books. And because I just remember, like, reading um, Battle of Hogwarts, sitting on my bed, listening to Welcome to the Black Parade over and over and oh! over again. And then when we got to The Prince's Tale, we all have watched these movies for the last couple weeks, like, over and over again. Um, so last night when me and Madison were rewatching part two, we were being very stinky buttholes. <laughs> like yes, making, we were. Making a lot of very off-color jokes and thinking we were very funny and not being funny. Then when I got to the prince's tale, we both shut up and just watched it and listened. Yeah, that cut us off. We were like, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. It was especially just jumping in and not watching the other movies first um and thinking like i know the rest of the movies and books but it was very different to watch it at this age and and at this time i think as well intentionally we are watching this as a sort of precursor to the midterm elections and so that sense of like we are just jumping into this very dark atmosphere because the books and the movies go from, you know, young childhood fair, light, humorous, uh, adventurous, to very, very dark. To jump into the final movie where the entire atmosphere of, or not the final movie, the final movies, where the atmosphere of the movies is, everything is at its worst right now, feels very on the nose. The atmosphere seems too familiar for comfort. We it feels like Half Blood Prince right now for us, <laughs> or or Order of the Phoenix, like it's somewhere in there. But um, just the very opening of these movies, because it has um a very well known opening with the W B symbol, and it goes usually does like do 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 do, do and like and goes in and stuff. And the very beginning of this um has the W B symbol, and it looks metallic, but it looks fraying. There's this very disjointed, like, like, metallically disjointed, like, it's just everything is coming apart at the seams. And it makes you think of, um, at least it made me think of Voldemort's frayed soul and just how Mm. torn apart it is and how much everything has just been perverted since we were last here in Harry Potter, you know, because we 
directed six movies of fun, wonderful, magical world, and now it has it's all falling apart, and we're right on the precipice of it because within you know the first twenty minutes of the movie, the Minister of Magic is killed, and the Ministry falls. And Moody dies, and Hedwig dies. Yes. We get a series of really serious deaths very quickly. Really? What deaths? My name? (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) And and also, just like, when we started watching it, I was starting to think, like, oh, which characters am I excited to see? And I went, oh, Sirius is dead. Dumbledore's dead. And so it was really weird coming in without watching the other ones again because it's like so much of the action has already happened and so many people have already died and we're now at the climax and and so many people are missing and they're just, it's not this huge glorious quest of Harry's anymore. It's like him hiding in a tent with no one to help him. Yeah. Except just, for Herman and Runel. J- except for Her- Herman and Runel Waslib. That kill your enemy or kill your heroes thing where it's just everyone's died or is gone. And we're still here and it's getting worse. Yeah, it only gets worse throughout these two movies because we start the we start with Hedwig's death. That's the first death that happens. In, well, that's the first one that we care about because Charity <laughs> Burbage is the first one. But Hedwig's the first one that's, like, really connected to Harry. Mm-hmm. And then our last, like, one, well, ones, we, we lose Remus and Tonks, and we lose Fred right, Weasley, right. and we lose, like, one of the Creedy brothers, and... Lavender Brown. Lavender Brown in the movies, but I think she survived in the books. She just became a werewolf. Dobby. Dooby! Um, when we went to see Deathly Hallows Part 1... We all cried a lot when Dobby died, and the man in the row in front of us made fun of us and was like, oh, these people behind us sniveling, and we were like, eh. And we went to the bathroom, and we were all crying, and one of us was like, Bellatrix Lestrange kills everyone I love, and some bitch stepped up on us, and she went, you should be mad at Voldemort. He killed Harry's parents. And we're like, not five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that story. That's funny. You did it? Oh, yeah, because you didn't go. You wouldn't have been in our bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Shall we talk about how much we hate Snape? I was just going to say, we were saying, it's hard to remember a time when we didn't know that Snape was in love with Lily. But um, after the Prince's Tale, and we all found out, there was a lot of sympathy for Snape and a lot of, I remember a lot of like my female friends thinking that like, oh, she never should have been with James. James was a bully and he was a jerk and she should have been with uh, Severus. Yeah, I remember that too. But I remember thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Snape did love her and and why couldn't she love him back? Why, why does his love have to be unrequited? And you know what? People are allowed to have their feelings, and if somebody's not in love with you, then they can't help it. Too Mm -hmm. bad. It was something as I was getting older and learning what you deserve in a relationship, that I came back around that, like, no, Snape was a Death Eater, and they did not share the same ideals, and she was not attracted to him. She owed him nothing. Nothing. 
And then in response to her not uh, reciprocating his feelings, he emotionally abused her son for 17 years. And he called her a racial slur in front of everybody. What he did was not a minor problem. He became a member of the alt-right. He became a Nazi. (laughs) And then he called her a racial slur. I don't think I would be friends with either of you if you did those things. Where James was cocky and arrogant, means the same fucking thing, sorry, and, you know, was not being very nice to other kids. But he grew out of that. But he grew out of it, and he, he, where it mattered, shared the same ideals with Lily, which was social justice and protecting the world they believed in, and stood up for her when Snape was racist at her because he was mad so he pulled out a racial slur yeah where later we you know we find out that he's like he said i didn't mean it i didn't mean it you know and it's like well you used a racial slur against your friend abusive behavior that's not what friends do one thing that i really like about the categorization of the death eaters is how pathetic they are like the the all of the non-voldemort people with the exception of like bellatrix lestrange all of the other death eaters are weak Minor characters. Avery. Crabs, Goyles. Malfoyles. People who need to latch on to somebody stronger than them to feel validated, to feel powerful. And I wanted to sort of correlate that to the sense of validation that Trump gives people like the Proud Boys who are so, they feel so weak about themselves that they literally need to have proud boys in their title they need to be constantly reaffirming reaffirming themselves that their identity is something to be proud of because in reality it's not i mean at the at the time that we are recording this it's only a couple days after the pipe bombs were discovered at the time that we are recording this there has been a shooting at a synagogue this morning this morning seven people were killed what the the shooter came in yelling kill all the jews Holy shit, I did not know that. Oh wow, I didn't know that. That's horrifying. And we're we're in, yeah, we're in a place where people like that feel empowered by the presence of, you know, since Republicans are so fond of trickle down theories, trickle down evil where <laughs> you have somebody at the top who is just especially when the person in charge of the most powerful country in the world turns a blind eye, not even turns a blind eye, encourages violence. To bring it back to the movie, um, what laid the groundwork for the collapse of the government was very much in the fifth movie having a weak leader in Cornelius Fudge, um, which kind of reminds me of like our weakness in the Democratic Party. Oh, absolutely. You know, like we didn't, they didn't (laughs) give us a strong candidate so we had this weak foundation that could crumble easily and then this this is very applicable to right now and is a huge part of the books is the distrust of the media and the media being used as a pulpit to spread lies in the fifth book especially with all the terrorist attacks that are going on from death eaters and they will not call them terrorist attacks they will not blame them on who it's who's actually doing it they always say it must be the work of notorious mass murderer serious black which is a personal affront to you absolutely because i didn't do shit 
I'm just in my my dark old house, hanging out with my hippogriff. <laughs> but the pipe bombings are not going to be called a terrorist attack. Well, the FBI is officially calling them terrorists. Fucking good. Fucking good. It's about fucking time. I do. I kind of want to talk about the the difference between the way that all of these evil things in in the book, the Death Eaters, the crimes that they commit, the hate crimes, everything. And the difference between that and and real life, <laughs> where yeah. in in real life there isn't a battle of Hogwarts. Uh, the thing that struck me as most odd about the movies this this time watching through it was this scene on the bridge after the Battle of Hogwarts, where we thought that was weird too. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, but because because it's calm and they're being reflective and they're happy and evil is over. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas for us in real life, we are going to be fighting this battle for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if we ever have children, our children will be fighting this battle. Our grandparents thought that World War II was going to be the end. Yeah. And here we are. And that's an interesting thing as well, because it's like, in the books, it's a resurgence of an old evil of a past war, and people are really slow to accept it's happening, and that's what's happening now, is we're like, they're fucking neo-Nazis. Yeah. Literal neo-Nazis, and people are either saying like, oh, well, don't call them that, they're na-na-na-na-na, or aren't taking it seriously, and it's like- They call themselves neo-Nazis, Okay. They call themselves white nationalists. Because we were talking a little bit about the demi-persiflage that Snape does, where he's like, I'm a good guy, even though I'm a bad guy. And, you know, one of the tactics that is very popular on, uh, like, alt-right media and neo-Nazi media is this idea that you are racist ironically. Oh, gross. They they claim they do it as satire, but it's not satire. No. Mm-hmm. They like they pro like on 4chan and 8chan, they propagate these memes that have disgustingly racist characters, and then they just they'll say like, oh, but it's just for laughs, it's just a gag, you know? Like we're making fun the of the fact that we're doing that. It's for the lulls, it's for the kecks or whatever. It's not, <laughs> obviously. It's not funny, yeah. Uh, it's... it's not funny, and it's not actually satire. It's, but they they're intentional about this tactic. the The guy who founded the Daily Stormer, which is a Nazi publication, uh, Andrew Anglin, wrote an article about the ways to use uh, satire and this form of humor to woo people into Nazism. Gross. I do think, yeah, like, making a joke of it and making light of it desensitizes you to the horror of what you're saying, and then even though it's, like, it's ironic, it's for the lols, it's, like... It makes it more palatable for the people who are more inclined to believe you anyways. It makes it more you more susceptible to the real thing. Speaking of racist caricatures... Yeah. (laughs) Do you guys know what I'm gonna say? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This was the first time I had noticed it, was um, that 
the goblins felt like a very racist caricature for Jewish people yeah. in this movie. No kidding. And I and these books. Like the prominent features, we were listing them last night. Gigantic hook noses, pointy teeth, huge ears, and obsessed with money. Yeah. Grip hook literally leaves Harry, Ron, and Hermione to die once he gets what he wants. And they think that they have a sacred right over, like, goblin-made things over humans. Like, they definitely think they're better than humans. So it's it's weird. Like, it's a very World War II It's weird to see this kind of, like, caricature in a book series or a movie series that is priding itself on its, like, look, we're talking about muggle-borns versus pure-blood wizards. We're talking about racism under a thinly veiled, you know, made-up version of racism. The actual racism was still present within the movies and within the books, like, yeah, there's an entire race of people that are slaves. Real quick before you go to that, but I was just Googling like caricatures of Jews from World War II and look similar to the goblins in the movies. Catherine and I rewatched both movies from the perspective of one of the trio, but I kind of want to talk about each member of the trio and their role in this like quest for social justice and their role in this fight specifically this fight against Voldemort yeah but before we get into the deep dirty of it I want to say how hard it was for me I got assigned Hermione and I kept getting chastised because I was much more into um, a very involved backstory in my mind that Harry dated Draco at some point and then they had to break up because Draco was being a Death Eater and then he dated Ginny, and then he couldn't decide who he missed more during 1 and 2, during Deathly Hallows 1 and 2. And so mostly I was just checking in every five minutes about, like, uh-oh, Harry isn't sure who he misses more again. Does he miss Draco or Ginny? And then Madison would get mad at me. <laughs> I was like, pay attention to her, Martin! And I was like, I can't. He's thinking about Darko Melfi again. Darko Melfi. He... He misses him, but he knows he shouldn't. He's kind of mad at him, but is does is he mad at him? Does he love him? Does he kind of understand? No, he's mad at him. He's a Death Eater, but why does he not kind of... Why did... Okay. Uh, <laughs> Hermione Granger. S-P-E-W. Society for the Protection of Elfish Welfare. Robin. Coming in with the receipts. And that was a society that Hermione created, and I think she's the only real member of she wanted to liberate the house elves at Hogwarts because she saw injustice and she wanted it to stop. She was right. She was right. Absolutely. But we have a race of creatures that JK Rowling paints as loving their servitude, which is like the slaves and gone with the wind. Yeah. So it's a very old trope, especially to be in a movie that came out in the two thousands. Cause reading it as a kid, that was like really I was really embarrassed for Hermione. I was like, oh, why can't she get it? They like to be slaves. She's like, stop. That was very poorly done. Yeah, extremely poorly done. But like, that just tells us a lot about Hermione, I think, and her, and how she fits into this like quest for social justice. All three of these characters, Ron, Harry, and Hermione, 
they all end up in wizarding law enforcement. Yeah, which is weird. I think it fits for Hermione to be Minister of Magic. I always wanted Harry to become the Defense Against Dark Arts teacher. I thought that had more poetry to mm-hmm. it. What else about Hermione in this this movie, these movies, this journey? Like, how would you characterize her activism? Well, she has the most to lose of the three. She is the persecuted party because she's a uh, muggle-born. I said mudblood last night. I was like, oh, sorry. And then Madison was like, <laughs> are you apologizing for using a fake racial slur? And I was like, yeah. But um, yeah, so she has the most to lose. And what I noticed is like in the book, she's never given the moment to stand up for herself when someone calls her a mudblood. You know, like Draco calls her a mudblood. And then in this one, Creature loses his shit when Hermione says something. He's like, I found the little mudblood. And then and Ron, Ron like, like tries like, to hit him with something, with like a ladle, and her Hermione stops him. And I noticed, I feel like that happens multiple times where it's always her that has to say, "It's all right, it's all right." Like the good little persecuted party, like it, it, it kind of bugged me that that she, it's expected that she should always say, "Like no, 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 it's all right. Don't don't hit him. He doesn't know any better." This is a world that's turned their back on people like Hermione. That is actively turning their backs on people like Hermione, and she's still fighting for them. This, you know, it's like a good black person where if someone were racist to them, I think they should be allowed to hit you with a ladle. Yeah. I have kind of a a shameful story in this regard. <laughs> uh oh. But when I when I was in in high school. Uh, I once made a comment that was not like overtly racist, but you know, uninformed and and very harmful. I think to the to the person it was directed at, even though I hadn't meant for it to be that way, and it upset her to the point that she slapped me very very hard. That for me was a significant learning moment. <laughs> I was physically confronted with consequences of what I was saying and like because of that I thought oh that was something that actually that's upsetting I should not say that kind of thing and it got me to grow and become a a better person uh so like let's not pretend that violence is yeah uh, (laughs) is uh just all evil especially when it's a you know social correct yeah because racism is a form of evil, and though I don't think you were being evil, it's something evil was coming out of your mouth that you didn't understand and right. needed a wake-up call. Right, exactly. So I think it's great that Hermione punches uh, Melfi in the face in the third <laughs> one. Yeah. yeah. And I was really analyzing Ron's role in all of this, because a lot of the time Ron is seen as kind of the third wheel in terms of the goofness he's the goofball he's the one who gets mad all the time he's the one who's so moody but in this story if we're taking it as a metaphor for what's going on now he seems like the well-meaning white guy who doesn't want to rock the boat Mm -hmm. he seems like the person of privilege who has a lot to lose by getting in this fight to clarify, because someone might say, like, oh, he doesn't have privilege. He's, you know, he's very poor. What we're saying is that, like, comparatively, he has parents. He has family. He is pure blood. He was raised in the wizarding world and has ties to that. Where Harry and Hermione, 
everything is in flux for them. Right. And like, hypothetically, if the Weasleys just kept their heads down, they'd be fine. Where Harry and Hermione do not have that No. And and the kids are starting to get more and more and more successful. So I think the financial burden has certainly lifted. Which is interesting Uh, because Harry has no financial burden on anything. Harry's by far the richest person of the trio. That was something I was reading last night about like lessons you can learn from Harry Potter and social justice is that we do learn a lot about checking your privilege in these books and movies because Harry does not use his wealth, you know? He just uses what he needs and he buys his friends things when he notices they want them. And he doesn't spend lavishly on anything. He's not materialistic. And then the Weasleys, even though uh, Ron has this shadow of the soul in book seven where he leaves, but then he comes back, the Weasleys on a whole, even though they have these privileges, what do they do with it? They fight back. They are the one of the backbones of the Order of the Phoenix. Like Molly's fucking running that shit at the house <laughs> in Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> She's keeping up with all the house stuff and making sure everyone's fed and has what they need and is also, you know, sitting in on strategy meetings and everything. So they don't sit back and just enjoy their privilege. And we actually see the Weasleys lose a member. Like this is the strongest, most tight knit family we see throughout the whole series. This is Harry's ideal perception of what a family could be. And we see it fall apart for a second. They do like they pay a price for their activism but like i don't think they'd change it for a second no i don't think they would have because there there is the part where they've had that they have this like moment of silence where voldemort says barry you're dead harry you piece of shit come face me like a man and uh he goes into the great hall and i was thinking like god if i was harry i wouldn't go in there (laughs) (laughs) But when he goes in and he has to see that Fred has died, I don't think the Weasleys for a second turned and saw Harry and thought, this is your fault. I think they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. And that's, I think, something very exceptional about a lot of the characters in this is that no one's jumping up and saying, Harry, go turn yourself fucking in. Except for the Slytherins, goddammit. But they all know Whatever. it's not Harry. It's something bigger than Harry. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit, just to re- rewind a bit, because I, I liked what you were saying about uh, Molly Weasley running the Order of the Phoenix in terms of like the things that she did. And to put that in a modern context, especially with the like midterms coming up, the like M- Molly Weasley being a relatively unassuming woman, mm-hmm. uh, at least, you know, it... it in ways that maybe we would characterize as, as, you know, as being motherly and, and et cetera, et cetera. But like, she still does what she can to support the movement in any way possible. And I think that's, you know, like, especially in our political times, it's important for people to recognize that no matter where you are, you have skill sets that you can contribute to making the world a better place that you can use to fight back against evil there, there is not a single one of us here who has the right to say, oh, I can just sit back and let this happen because there are things that we can do. Which means we all need to freaking vote 
And anybody yeah. who's listening to this needs to freaking vote. Why are you saying freaking? Why are you saying freaking? Because I don't want to fucking vote. Fucking vote. Fucking vote. Unless you're a Republican. Unless you're a Republican. Uh, <laughs> don't vote. <laughs> um, but, I mean, this week, uh, we had a guest on our show on Lord of the Rings, an old friend, and she is transgender. And her week has been finding out that our president is trying to strip her legal status from her. This is... I don't know how we aren't rioting over this. And it's it's a it's because the LGBT community, we're a very queer podcast, but like we've done so little to support the transgender part of our community. And I just feel like he can go after transgender people first because no one's going to step up for them. And this is just the fucking beginning of the end. We should be helping them because they're fucking people and they're one of us, but also because they're going to come for the rest of LGBT next. Like, this is just how they're going to fucking start. So go fucking vote. Because they're going to try to push this through by the end of the year. And they're going to lose their civil protections. They're going to lose their health care. They're going to... How would they get on a fucking plane? I was, like, feeling frenetic and crazy about voting a couple weeks ago. And the stakes have somehow heightened since then. (laughs) I think, in a way, the Battle of Hogwarts is this, this year's midterm elections. It's it's very possibly one of the most important elections of our lifetime yeah. in that we have climate change disaster looming and nobody doing anything about it. We have uh, just like social disaster, like the Supreme Court being packed and the thing we can do about it, the courts in general being packed. And if we don't vote now, we are going to have conservative majority courts for the rest of our lifetimes we are not going to have climate uh, legislation enacted and the world is going to die. We're going to live in a fucking world where it's okay for police officers to walk into black men's apartments and kill them. We already live in that world. We talked about this a bit in uh, the Hocus Pocus episode that um, often in these kinds of movies, they characterize a big evil who laser focuses in on the protagonist and that is not what real life is like like donald trump is so frenzied and everywhere that we don't see it the way that it was portrayed in movies growing up and we were kind of thought or we were taught to think that like you don't have to step up until it's coming after you you don't see it as you need to be stepping up when it's happening around you and even if you think like i live in a blue district i live in Portland, Oregon, but I'm freaked the fuck out by what's on the ballot. Like, they're trying to strip our sanctuary state status. The fucking Newt Bueller's trying to come in and you have to vote. Even if you're like, oh, it doesn't really matter where I live. It's blue. It's they think our generation, this is technically a podcast for millennials or millennial parents, as your mother pointed out. um, (laughs) They think our generation is not going to step up and they might be fucking right because we haven't. And we need to show that we are the largest group of voters in this country and they need to fucking do what we say. <laughs> so even if you're in a district where you think that I don't have to vote, it's going to go this way or this way, my vote doesn't matter. You have to go show up. Our numbers have to be on the books to show that you have to listen to us. We're not going to put up with this baby boomer bullshit anymore. Yeah. And it's not just your 
privilege or your right to vote. This is your civic duty. In a time where things seem pretty even, I can I can understand just passing up a midterm vote. I can understand that. I don't like it. But <laughs> understand it. When it's when it's today when everything is falling apart and the administration is coming after everybody, well, everybody that I love anyway, there's no excuse. You have to vote. You have to make your voice heard because if you don't, then nobody's going to listen to it down the line. I think especially people with privilege. Yeah. Because there there are people being disenfranchised left and right. There are people being like purged from the voter rolls. There are people whose votes are going into the computer as blue and coming out as red. There are people who are being just turned away at the polling stations. Like this is an actual crisis and we have to fix it. First of all, vote. Make sure your friends are voting. Help your friends vote. If you can drive someone to the polls, do it. If you can go drop off your ballots for your roommates, do it. Make fucking vote. And research too. Yeah. Don't just vote. Look, look look into what you are voting on. The the bills, the you know le- legislative measures that are being passed in your local area, are things that you know sometimes don't have a very clear. This is good and this is bad. You mm-hmm. have to you know go in go into the situation knowing who is going to benefit from the law. Was it written by some rich person that's just trying to make their life better? Was it written by an advocacy group that actually cares about, like, homeless people, for instance? Was it written by a politician who just wants to look good? Who is it written by? Who is it endorsed by? Who actually thinks it's going to work? Find out how it it's going to change people's lives in your area. Because, you know, local election, everyone is always concerned about what happens in the big... I think this is one of the biggest problems with the Democratic Party in the sense that Republicans are very, very good at caring about what happens in their neighborhoods and in their areas. And we're not. And so they vote locally. But yeah. like in in the Democratic Party as a whole, trends tend to show that they'll show up in large numbers for big votes, but local politics don't mean much to them. They don't think, oh, it's, it's not gonna matter what happens here. But that's the opposite of what's true. I mean, you have to, just build a, a base. You have to have a foundation all across the country of people putting in the effort to make their areas better, immediate areas, their you know states, and then the whole country better. It's, it's about voting every opportunity you get. Yeah, it's local level is so important. That's where a lot of these changes start. You can't just focus big picture. You guys... Trump just said that we don't need gun laws at all and that the synagogue would have been better equipped to protect themselves if they'd had guns. Go vote. Go fucking vote. Oh my God. Right this second. Stop what you're doing. Pause the podcast and go Go vote. vote. Go vote. Most places are going to, like, if you are listening to this podcast... Before the midterm elections, your polls are probably like available for early voting. We there's a reason we are posting this podcast before the election. This is our (laughs) go out and vote podcast. It's like getting rid of Dolores Umbridge. Yeah. Oh my god, when she showed up, I I think she's one of J.K. Rowling's best characters in the sense that she's so much more realistic 
than like Voldemort. Mm-hmm. She is she is the kind of evil that Trump is. I just feel like we're surrounded by Umbridges right now. You know who Umbridge reminds me of? Like Betsy DeVos and Nikki Haley. All of these like symbol symbolically quote unquote strong women on the GOP. Like not even the just the women though. Like she reminds me of like Mitch McConnell. Oh, now yeah. that you say that? Of just so obstinate and will not hear fucking reason and just evil. Yeah. And a healthy dose of victim blaming. Like the whole nevertheless she persisted is just like, I must not tell lies. Mm-hmm. I must not tell lies came from Dolores Umbridge when Harry Potter would tell the truth about Voldemort returning when Elizabeth Warren was in the Senate saying, hey, this is, we need to listen to Loretta Scott King's letter about Jeff Sessions. And Mitch McConnell just shot her down and would not let her speak. And she kept speaking. And which is exactly like the scene when they're in class and she's saying like, we're going to learn the theory of defense against the dark arts. And Harry keeps speaking up. Nevertheless, he persisted. (laughs) You can say what you want about Harry because we were talking about like Hermione's kind of the purest social justice warrior she's doing it for to make the world better where harry it's kind of more on an individual heroism level but when fuck comes to fuck he (laughs) stands up when he should and not just to be heroic he walks to his death in this movie so when at the end of the day he is doing this for the betterment of the world not to look like a hero yeah. He has a hero complex, but I don't think he's doing it for the glory. Right. Yeah. We got a little uh, tussle. Oh, well, you know what? I'm <laughs> mad. I'm mad about the state of our world. And I think we should all be mad. And I think that that anger should be the thing that we use to drive the vote. Everyone, when I was a kid and I was starting the Harry Potter book series later than everyone else, I started like right after fifth one came out. And I remember asking my friends about the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher in the fifth book. And I, and they told me she is the worst one. And we can all agree that Umbridge was the worst Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Those are the people running your government, our Dolores Umbridges. Yeah. Fucking vote. The worst Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher <laughs> in the history of Hogwarts. Worse than Snape. Worse than Quirrell. Worse even somehow than Quirrell, who literally had Voldemort on his head. Way worse than Quirrell. Quirrell. <laughs> can we talk about Fantastic Beasts? Oh, yes. Can we talk about Fantastic Beasts? We are, like, uh, less than 20 days away from getting Fantastic Beasts number two, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And it's supposed to be two of five, is what they are planning. Uh, Robin and I saw this movie together in L.A. <laughs> when I was visiting. And there were not many people in the theater. And it was, like, a really big theater. And um, we were having a good time for the most part. And then the ending happened. It was so dumb. It was just... Everything that it was kind of saying about politics, it was saying that, like, the people in charge aren't necessarily right. And there are gray areas. And sometimes you do have to uh accept not i'm i I don't want to say like accept violence but like but you know like you can't just believe everything about order and justice and what the government's doing and then it was 
Johnny Depp the whole time? Spoiler alert. <laughs> I love that you gave the spoiler alert afterwards. Yeah, and I yelled, like, because it suddenly turns, and it turns out Colin Farrell the entire time was Grindelwald, and we yeah. didn't know that Johnny Depp was in the movie yet, and this was, like, right after the controversy, and it turns, and I, like, yelled, color me disgusted, like, when it turned, <laughs> and, it was, and it was Johnny Depp, God, Jesus, take the wheel. And not only is it Johnny Depp, and not only... Oh boy, that J.K. Rowling was enthusiastic and happy to have him as her Grindelwald. Queer representation in these movies is worse than well, I, I don't want to qualify them like that, but the the treatment of people of color and the treatment of queer people in this book series is horrendous. There is one confirmed gay person in the entirety of the world of Harry Potter. Of 800 characters. Not a single trans person, not a single asexual, not a single bisexual. It's all white, white straight people. The implication is that we have Jude Law playing young Dumbledore, and canon- canonically, Dumbledore was gay for Grindelwald, and it's been announced that there is no allusions to their romance in the movie. What? Yeah. Yes. So very famously, after the books wrapped up, J.K. Rowling came forward and said that Dumbledore was gay. And a lot of people were split on it because people were like, oh, you're just trying to make shit up to keep yourself in the headlines, which I think she does constantly. Like somebody asked her if there were Jewish people at Hogwarts and she named a random Ravenclaw to show how diverse she is. <laughs> yes. Um, she does that shit all the time. And but I reading the books, I believe that Dumbledore is gay. I think that he was in love with Grindelwald. I identify with that yeah. <laughs> relationship a lot. She's just so like out and proud about it all these years between movies. And then when it's time to put up or shut up, we're not going to mention it. So as we've taken so many steps back, she's saying that it's still subversive and we can't talk about gay people. Yeah. Which is so incredibly insulting and homophobic. I don't, she had a huge hand in the writing. They say that she wrote it. It was probably a lot of writers working on it, but she is the author of that script and will not mention homosexuality outside of Twitter. Like, I will love the Harry Potter books until I'm dead. But I'm not going to spend any more money on products that enrich an already rich woman who supports the Tory party in Great Britain. I would, like, beg people to not go see Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. To not let them keep giving us this backwards garbage. Yeah. We we put Harry Potter, when we were watching it, under this lens because it hasn't aged with the politics like when we were rewatching it like it would have been one thing if we're like okay these are books written in the 90s but it's like nothing has changed the the main characters in fantastic beasts are still white cisgender characters and the like one of the people of color we're having introduced in the new fantastic beasts is first a really dumb plot twist it's that nagini has been a woman this entire time and she's asian which just plays into really overused Asian stereotypes of like the dragon woman and how exotic Asian women are. And it's people got mad in the trailer for one of the trailers for Fantastic Beasts when we see this Asian actress turn into a snake. 
And uh, they were like, this is racist, this is racist. And J.K. Rowling responded, the Naga are snake-like mythical creatures of Indonesian mythology, hence the name Nagini. They are sometimes depicted as winged, sometimes as half-human, half-snake. Indonesia comprises a few hundred ethnic groups, including, yeah, so Javanese, Chinese, and Batawi have a lovely day snake emoji. And the actress who plays Nagini's last name is Kim. She's South Korean. Which is not a part of Indonesia. (laughs) Which is not a part of Indonesia. So it's like doing this thing of just clumping all Asians in together. When we say, why do you have a South Korean woman playing the snake when that's kind of a a rude stereotype? Because Naga is an Indonesian word for snake people. Like, it's not... (laughs) Yes, but where did Indonesia come from in this context? Yeah, and so bringing that up, that's also she's had issues with she did this um, magic of North America thing and um, brought Native Americans into it in a very offensive way. way. Yeah, yeah, she's just doesn't can do, do her research about anything besides a white British person. What else did we want to talk about? We should talk a little more about the plot. (laughs) You know what I want to talk about? Because I'm God and I get to choose. Um, (laughs) uh, We had mentioned, we talked about a little bit of Harry Potter in pretty much every episode. There was some episode where we brought up something about Dumbledore that like we find out later that he was into like some shady shit. And we've talked about the kill your heroes aspect. Um, I'm interested to see what you guys thought of the whole Dumbledore plot line this time watching it. In that we have Dumbledore's fall from grace happens in book seven. Where he is just this untouchable, impeccable figure of wisdom and gray hair and blue eyes for six books. And then we find out he has a dark past. And uh, while he's, you know, gone... And then we meet him at the end of the book in Wizard Heaven. How did how did y'all feel about D- Dumbledore? I hated Dumbledore. Yeah. <gasps> I was not happy. Really? No, I was not no, happy kidding. with Dumbledore. I mean, what what were you feeling about Dumbledore? I felt a lot more sympathetic to him watching it this time than I did when I was younger. I don't know if I did because I don't know if I feel that bad for people who start on the alt-right or start as a Ku Klux Klan member or start as neo-Nazis and then decide that they change their mind. Because that's basically what happened in Dumbledore's past. He buddied up to a Nazi. But I do think he spent a hundred years advocating for the right side. It's not, like, commendable to to be reasonable after being not reasonable for a long period mm-hmm. of time but i also don't know that that's something to vilify like it is it is a a good thing when people come to their senses it is a good thing when people who had spent a lot of time on the wrong side of things but were you saying because he was bringing harry to his death yeah because i have argument there because we were arguing last night about why jk rowling wrote the way harry could come back yeah canonically it's that he could come back because Voldemort uses Harry's blood to come back to life. So Harry's blood is in his veins, which means that as long as Voldemort is alive, 
Lily's protection is still alive, so Harry can't die, which means Dumbledore knew that. Yeah. So that's a weird plot hole, because it's like, we have this whole, like, pig for slaughter thing, but that means the entire time Dumbledore knew Harry wasn't going to die. And even if he was, you know, doing this shady shit of raising him for slaughter, what else could he have done? Harry had to die. Harry did have to die, that's true. In order for the greater good. I do think that, like, he was wrong when he was younger, but I also think he was, like, a teenager in love as opposed to... But Dumbledore made a lot of mistakes, even after he switched sides, so to speak. He, like, Grindelwald was not the only dark wizard that he helped. (laughs) And, yeah, he tried to put a stopper Uh... on Tom Riddle, but there... There was more he needed to do in order to do that. But, yeah, but I I don't think it was the same as Grindelwald. It's not like... No, no, he didn't, he wasn't, was like, actively accident. enabling. It was kind of a, the second round of bad orphans was... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of bad orphans that Dumbledore encountered in his life. Grindelwald was number one. Voldemort was number two. And then Harry Potter was number three. And like he was a bad orphan because looking at it just like written down the facts of like what he did to harry it's like oh my god everything he ever did was to just keep him alive but it, oh we were talking about this where um at the very beginning of the movie of part one they're at the wedding and Elphias doge who was an old time friend of dumbledore and wrote like his uh obituary for him in the daily prophet was there and he gets talking to him and then old uh, mean aunt is there as well this ball starts rolling of people telling harry you didn't really know dumbledore yeah he was actually a shitty dude and he did all this stuff and you did not really know him and i and it's kind of gaslighting harry because hmm. he had a relationship with this man and he really looked up to him and he was a mentor and yeah. it was devastating for him when he lost him and by the time we come to meet dumbledore again i think it proves to Harry that everything he thought he had with Dumbledore was true because he doesn't just show up and Dumbledore's like, you're right, Harry. I was (laughs) using you this whole time. It's like he greets him with what I think is an amazing line watching it this time saying, you know, like, you wonderful boy, you brave, brave man, because this is the Mm. moment that we stop calling Harry a boy. People call him a boy so much. He is the boy who lived. Voldemort always says, get the boy, get the boy. And it's like, he died. And Dumbledore is like, you are a man. No one gets to call you a boy anymore. And I am proud of you. And you did this thing that we went out to do. And I am sorry, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. So that, to me, was showing Harry knew Dumbledore. And he wasn't being naive about the relationship. He wasn't being used. Dumbledore was doing everything he could to be a partner in this with Harry, given the awful, awful, awful circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Dumb- but we also learned Dumbledore is not a saint. He is a person and he has to be political. He's like 115 years old. So I don't think he's like either. This doesn't make me be like, he's a villain. He's awful. But, no. But he's not, you know, a saint. Yeah. I think he's somewhere in the middle. And I think Harry is validated in what he believes of Dumbledore. Because yeah. Harry is the biggest victim. And it's Harry who gets to decide how he feels. And he names one of his kids after him. He also names one of his kids after Snape, though. So do we trust Harry's judgment? Same kid. (laughs) Same kid. Albus Severus. Worst name name ever. ever. 
these movies mean a lot to us and I kind of wish we had more time to talk about it, but obviously we decided to just do this in one episode and move on from Harry Potter. But it's obviously kind of a can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter. But um, yeah, I think a lot of what we learned about social justice and fighting back against oppression, we learned from Harry Potter. We learned that when there is a Voldemort, you fight against him. I think that we've actually, as a generation, as millennials, kind of taken those lessons and expanded them because the fight we're fighting now is not the same fight that Harry and his friends are fighting. They are fighting something that claims it's evil and is proud of its evil and proclaims it to the world. And what we're seeing now is people just lying blatantly to the faces of the American people, we have to develop our understanding in order to fight back. We are the Order of the Phoenix. And we will run this from the ashes. We are Dumbledore's army and we will fight and vote. We will vote. And most importantly, Sirius Black was gay. This and every episode features the song Enthusiast by Tours. To make a suggestion, tweet the name of your favorite television show, movie, book, or video game to at GrowThePotUp with a brief message about why it was meaningful to you. You can also send us a voice message with your suggestions to GrowThePotUp at gmail.com. Share a personal story, a fond memory, or a funny, funny anecdote. And with your permission, we'll share your message on the air. You've been listening to Grow Up, a Saturday morning podcast with James Potter. Serious Black. And Robin Collins. Swivelly! <laughs> like what you hear? We hope so. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us at Grow the Pot Up on every platform of all time. Join us next time for Beauty and the Beast. Avada Kedavra! Goodbye! <laughs>